So today we continue in on our series of Sincerely John. Last week, Pastor Chris began the series looking at chapter 1, First uh, John chapter 1. Today we're looking at chapter 2, and we're going to talk about brotherly and sisterly love. How fun. It's right before Valentine's Day. It's like we lined it up or something. We didn't, but Jesus did. Um, and so today we're going to talk about brotherly and sisterly love, and we are going to have a great time doing it. So here's the thing. I know a lot of you very well. And one of the things that I know about you is that you love watching and waiting and listening for someone to contradict themselves. You're just waiting. And then you're waiting for that moment where you can go, ah, (laughs) you contradicted yourself. And I don't know why you love to do it, but I know you love to do it. The interesting thing is contradiction is not always bad. Sometimes it's bad, but it's not always bad. Sometimes contradiction is good. It's a person's external processing. You can understand they're growing in their thought process. What they thought once is not what they think now because they've widened their perspective. They've grown. They may have contradicted themselves in in the process, but it's a healthy contradiction. Most of the time, however, we are very good at unhealthy contradiction. A lot of us are very good at saying, I love Jesus and I want to serve him with all my life. And then three minutes later, our actions tell us something other. We're very good at saying, ooh, I love people. I am missionally vital. And then I say, hey, what's your neighbor's name? And they say, I don't know. We're really good at contradicting ourselves. We'll say one thing, but we'll do another. We can preach all day long about how much we love Jesus, but our actions of loving others, they don't shine through. We are not so great We contradict ourselves. You know who never contradicts themselves? Oh, let's Sunday school it up. Say it with me. Jesus. Good job. Good job. That felt good, didn't it? Jesus. Jesus will never contradict himself. He never has. He never will. He is perfectly perfect. 2 Samuel chapter 22 verse 1 tells us that as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord, his word is flawless. In Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, he is the rock. All of his ways are perfect. All of his ways are just. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. He is upright and just. That's a lot. That's a lot to put your faith in. And that gives us a lot of hope knowing the creator of the world. He is perfect. He is flawless. He is full of justice. God is perfect. As we look at books like 1 John, we look at this letter and we can see not just a letter full of commands telling us, do this, do this, do this. But we look at it understanding that it comes from the perspective of someone who is flawless. Jesus was flawless. And when we read words about him, it gives us the perspective of who he was and why we can trust him in that. He knew love because he was love. We understand that his commands come from a place of faithfulness, flawless, justice-driven love. That is the right kind of love. That is the kind of love that I want to subscribe to. And so let's talk about that this morning. Let's stand. We're going to read our passage of scripture together as we do every week. Reading it aloud in one voice, we're going to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. And let's read that together. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. 
This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who claims lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word being true and consistent and faithful, full of justice and being flawless. We thank you, Lord, that you are always right. I ask that you would examine our hearts this morning as we dig into your truth. Let us be people who hear your words openly. Let us be people who are filled with humility, understanding we always need you, Lord. We need your righteousness. We need your justice. We need your unfailing love. And so would you do a transforming work in each of us today, Lord? We acknowledge that none of us has arrived. None of us is perfect. None of us is flawless. But you are. And so do a work in our midst today. Bring your scriptures to life. We praise you for your word. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, this passage is so much fun. It really, I, I giggled all the way reading through it the first time I read through it. Sometimes you read a passage and you think, no, no, that didn't make sense. <laughs> and then you start wondering in your head, is it just me or did that not make sense? In verse 7, it said, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command. And then in verse 8, it said, yeah, I am writing you a new command. Did you catch that? And did you think, that's a typo? Sometimes when I read scripture, I wonder, did the author have a proofreader? Uh, did the author write out a context? Did the author make a mistake? Well, we know that God's word is flawless. So it wasn't the author. So then I think, is it a contradiction? Ooh, is it a good, hearty contradiction? God's word is flawless. It doesn't contradict itself. So what is it? When it doesn't make sense, what is it? It is a beautiful opportunity for you to dig into God's word and do a little bit of research and actually get to understand the context. It is an opportunity. It's a beautiful thing. So I dug in, and this is what I found. It's actually super simple. It's actually just the author saying, guys, here is a command. You know this command. I'm going to refresh it for you. That's all he's saying. But we're going to dig a little deeper into it. John addresses his readers, dear friends. This is the first time he does this of six times in this very short letter, dear friends. And as he does this, he's establishing to us, there's a relationship here. I know these people. This is not loosely, dear friends. This is a, hey, friend. My dear, dear friend. This is how this letter is written. He's writing to people he knows and he loves. And he's reminding them, dear friend, you have known these commands since the beginning. He's saying, I was there. I know the truth of it. You have known it. And he uses this beautiful ancient phrasing of since the beginning to draw them back and to draw us back to something so beautiful. It's the humanity of God. 
It brings us back before Noah and Moses and the garden. It brings us to the point of creation in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. But is this the beginning that John was talking about? It's not. And while he brings us there, he's actually talking about something completely different. When he says, you've known this command since the beginning, he's talking about the beginning of their salvation. The moment you profess Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you understand this command. If we jump ahead for a moment, we go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and John defines something important. He defines love. He says, this is love, right here. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us. Since the beginning reminds us that he loved us so much that he created us. He created a whole world of us. It ties us to his initial love of humanity. We exist because of God's love. So, if he is writing us a new command, but it's also an old command, but it's not old because it's also new. What is the command? It has to be easy. Well, it is easy. The command is this. Believe in Jesus. Love like Jesus. It's super simple. Believe in Jesus. Love like Jesus. When we look at 1 John chapter 2, we find these beautiful commands. And they're outlining how we know, how we serve, how we love God. How do we know we're doing those things? Well, this command tells us. Earlier in the chapter, in verse, verses 3 through 6, John says this, We know that we have come to him, to know him, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Here it is, verse 6, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. If we claim to love Jesus, we must love as Jesus did. Believe in Jesus, love like Jesus. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 tells us this, and this is his command. Here it is, once more. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Love one another as he commanded us. Believe in Jesus, love like Jesus. John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The beautiful thing about John's community is that upon their point of salvation, they were given not only the gospel message of truth in salvation, but they were given the command of love. The two were inseparable. You cannot love God without loving people. The command was old. It was with them since the very beginning. But it was being renewed. John was saying, listen, just because it's old doesn't make it no longer relevant. And it's actually more relevant than ever before because a shift has happened. It's not just God defining commands and orders. Jesus has now put his feet on the ground. And he has walked amongst us. And he has not only walked with us, but he has exemplified love to the, to the best example we could ever see. He was flawless in the way that he exemplified love. 
the proof of its weight was that Jesus not only reaffirmed this command, but he lived it in everything that he did. The way he pulled people in. The way that he noticed everyone. The way that he discipled. The way that he cared. The way that he healed. In the fellowship he had with God. The fellowship he had with others. In the way that he taught and lived with humility and grace. He exemplified love. He sacrificed himself for the whole of humanity. Not just the strongest, not just the richest, not just the most beautiful, not just those who he thought could do things for him. The whole of humanity is who he sacrificed himself for. In the way that Jesus alone holds the power to restore those who would otherwise be eternally lost. The way he loved saved us all. The old command was love. The new command is love like Jesus. Believe in Jesus, love like Jesus. You cannot love God without loving others. But better yet, you cannot love God without loving others as Jesus did. And what makes this command both old and new is that we are being reminded to love as we always have, but with depth and selflessness, with grace and humility. Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he did that so beautifully. Love cost him everything. Is this the love that you experience? Is this what you're feeling from your brothers and sisters? That they would give up everything for you? It's a hard, it's a hard thing to ask. But this, as Christ followers, is what we proclaim. If I love God, I will love others in the same way to the same extent that Jesus did. As Christ followers, we make a big, bold claim upon our salvation. And it's found in verse 9. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. And anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. And they do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So we understand that darkness is sin, right? And that sin is really, this is the realm in which sin lives. It predominates. It exists. This is the darkness. Sin loves darkness. Darkness, it cloaks us. We feel safe. We feel hidden. It's where a selfish and sinful nature can thrive and grow. There is no accountability. There does not have to be logic. Talk to a five-year-old in the middle of the night, scared of the dark. There is no logic. There is no justice in the dark. This is where sin lives. This is why people get stuck there. It holds them and it drags them into a place that they feel safe or they feel justified. They say, so-and-so hurt me or this happened in my life. I'm carrying this hurt, so I'm going to hold on to my hate and I'm justified in it because you don't know what I've gone through. Or you don't know what they said to me. Or you don't know the look that they gave. I'm justified in my hate. Well, let me tell you that only true justification comes through Jesus. It is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we are justified, not by justifying our sins. He justifies our sins. 
We will not be, and we will never be able to justify our own sins. No matter what the world tells you or how hard that hurt was in your life. Hate doesn't justify hate. And sin doesn't justify sin. Only Jesus justifies. In Romans 5.1, we understand that therefore, since we have been justified through faith. That's all it takes. is faith in Jesus. And he has justified us. What is this word? Justified. It means we've been made right before Jesus. It means we've been forgiven of our sins. It means he has made us right before him. A place that we can never get to ourselves. Jesus died. He shed his blood for you. By the grace extended to you, Jesus forgives you of your sins. And he justifies you. Jesus takes the darkness away. He takes the sin away and he removes it. Scripture tells us as far as the east is from the west. You're removed from your sins. It does not remain. It does not define you. He does not hold it in front of you and say, "Mm, this is still who you are. You will always be this. He says, no child, you are forgiven and you are free. And we are right and we are whole in our relationship. The light that we're talking about is, is Jesus. So when John says, I'm writing you a new command, that command, its truth can be seen in Jesus and in you. And do you know why it can be seen in you? Not because you are good, but because Jesus is good. And Jesus lives within you, so the light of Christ is within you. And when you're walking out in the world, people can see the light of Christ that is in you. You are justified. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. Verse 9 says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. In other words, if you claim to love Jesus and you have hate in your heart for a brother or a sister in the Lord, you're in darkness. You are in sin. And I know, and I know, and I know, some of you will say, it's fine. It's just a little, it's just a little hate. It doesn't have a deep root and I can manage it. I'm in control of it. Friend, you are not in control of it because I see how it festers and how it grows and how it separates you from the body of Christ. You need to be freed from the bonds of that sin. You need to be freed from the bonds of that hate. Hatred will destroy you. It is nothing more than a tool and a scheme of Satan created to separate you from Christ Created to disunify the church, created to pit brother against brother and sister against sister, created to pull you away so you are no longer a thriving part of this body. It is a weapon. We need to stop walking around in the dark and we need to open our eyes to the truth of what it is and who we were called to be and how we were called to walk in the light of Christ. Believe in Jesus, love like Jesus. Open your eyes to the truth. Verse 10, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Nothing. There is nothing in them to make them stumble because the darkness cannot be overcome by the light. It can't win. It will never win. When you live in the light, you are living a life that follows Christ and says, I see that command and I hold dear to that command because I know it's going to enrich my life. 
You're living a life that is wholeheartedly following the commands of Jesus that declares, I believe in the name of Jesus, and I choose to love others in the same way that Jesus loved me. I'm not just going to receive that love and keep it to myself. I'm going to receive it and I'm going to give it because this is what we were called to do. Believe in Jesus and love others like Jesus. But what does that actually look like? How do we practically love others, especially some of you who are brand new to this assembly? How do I love people I don't know yet? Well, let me tell you. It means standing with people in good times and in bad times. And let me tell you that standing with people in bad times takes 10 times the amount of work because it's messy and it's difficult and it takes up your time. But friends, it is so worth it. We need to be people who are willing to go through the trenches together, who will roll up our pants and get into the mud or pick up a hammer and fix a, fix a house, cook a meal, stand with one another. We need to be people who are willing to pray for one another, offer our support, sit with someone's aging parent, hold a new baby. We need to be people who are willing to love, not just in word, but in action. We need to be people who are willing to go out of our way because love is never convenient. It isn't. Loving people the way that Jesus loved them will never be convenient. Just accept it. It will take your time. It will take your energy. It will take your resources. And what you will get out of it is absolute and utter fulfillment. Because as you are enriching the life of someone else, they are enriching yours right back. We need to understand that it means being selfless, humble, and willing. It means loving people who are just like you and people who are completely different from you. It means loving people you don't understand. It means people, loving people who are very easy to love. And it means loving people who are very difficult to love. That is how we live out the love of Christ. So I want to speak to those, especially who are new in the congregation. And you're saying, maybe I'm not part of a small group yet. I don't know who to love. I don't know where the needs are. I don't, I don't know who needs a brother or a sister in Christ. Can I tell you that we have a really cool ministry here at this church? And don't judge the name. I know it needs help. Maybe someone who is much more creative than I can give it a better name. Um, and I look forward to all your suggestions. We have a team called the Care Team. Care the care team uh, because they love caring for one another they love carrying your burdens they love walking with you in hard times they love making meals for those who have been in hospital or those who have just given birth they have done things like drive seniors to appointments or sit with aging parents they have been known to sit and pray they do a lot of things this team is always on standby and will send an alert out that says there's this need. Can anybody fill it? And Pastor Sharon and Pastor Crystalline can attest to it. Every time we send a need out, it is filled within like 15 minutes. This team is jumping at it. I can't wait to love somebody else. I can't wait to make a new connection. I can't wait to find out how I can be an extension of God's love today. And I'll tell you, sometimes the needs come in at a 2 o'clock on a Wednesday. That is an awkward time for a need to come in. But these people have said, I'm going to throw off whatever I had this afternoon. And I'm going to meet this need because this matters. And so on the flip side, let me tell you, if you have a need, 
If you're not part of a small group and you haven't built that community yet here, but you have a need and you don't know how to find a brother or a sister in the Lord to help you with those things, we have a team. We have a team that cannot wait to stand with you. So I want to tell you two things about that. If you want to join the team, if loving others and serving them practically speaks to your heart, speaks to your passions, the way you've been created, shoot me an email, care at wpa.church. Say, I want to join the team. It does not mean you have to fill every need that comes in. It's actually a really big team. Sometimes you're not going to be quick enough and you won't be able to fill the need. (laughs) It is a great team. And I think, honestly, we should all be a part of it. Now, do not let this team be your excuse not to care. Oh, there's a team. I don't have to do it. (laughs) No, we do. We all need to care. (laughs) And so reach out if you need care. And reach out if you can care, because this is how the body of Christ becomes the body of Christ. We care. We believe in Jesus. We love like Jesus. Verse 11 says, But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in the darkness, and they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Don't be blinded by your hate for one another, for one person, for a group of people. Don't be blinded by your hate. Hate has no place in the church, and it has no place in the life of a believer. Some of you have become so comfortable in your hate that you're walking in darkness and you don't even realize it anymore. You become so comfortable navigating in your darkness that you you don't even bump things too often. I mean, you're a little bruised in your shins because you're bumping around in the dark, but you can manage it fairly well. I want you to switch on the light and understand that you have been deceived. You are walking around in darkness and you can never thrive in darkness. We are not people who are created to live in the dark, but to live in the light. That's why February and January are so tough on mental health because we need the light, not only the sun, but we need the light of Jesus. It restores us and it refills us. And we need to be people who are walking in the light. Let me give you an example. Some of you are walking in darkness, and you have been doing it for a very long time. So much so that you have no true idea that you're in the darkness any longer. Say you get up for work tomorrow morning, and you're navigating your life in the dark. And you're also a really good spouse, so you've gotten up before your spouse, so you've kept the lights off, so you're really in darkness. And, you know, you've navigated so long that you're okay with it. You can find your shirt and put on. You can find your pants. You've got your shoes. You've brushed your hair. You've even managed to make yourself breakfast in the dark. You're proud of yourself. Good job. And then you get to work. And, you know, of course, there are people and there is light in your workplace. And you take a step back and you realize that everyone's looking at you. And it's because your hair is not brushed and your shirt's on backwards and you've got two different shoes on and you've barely made it because you were in the dark. And you may have succeeded in the dark, but you didn't thrive in the dark. You could just barely made it through. This is what living in the dark is. You think you're succeeding. You are not. You are not thriving. To make matters worse, here's the truth, friends. That breakfast that you were so proud of, it wasn't your breakfast. It was the dog's breakfast. And he got your breakfast, and you had to eat his. And here's the thing. Dog food is edible. 
for human consumption. And as I tell my children, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. Or maybe church it up, you get what you get and you're grateful for it. Uh, And here's the thing. You're not thriving. You're just surviving. So bottoms up, you had to eat it. It was what was before you for the day. We don't thrive in darkness. We were not made to live in darkness. We take missteps and we make mistakes. We cannot thrive in spaces we cannot see clearly. You will never thrive in darkness because you are not designed to. You need the light. Darkness can never be light. You can never experience the fullness of God while you keep stumbling around in the dark. Worship team, you can come join me back on the stage. Listen, friends, we can never be the fully functional body of Christ that we are created to be if hate lives among us. It cannot remain. So how do we fix that? What do we do? We replace it with love. It's super simple. We go back to that command of believe in Jesus, love like Jesus. If there is hate, there cannot be love. But if there is love, there cannot be hate. Remember that you are a sinner, full of grace, forgiven, justified. And when you are abiding by God's commands, you give up your ability, your right to hate. You just can't do it. Because we believe in Jesus, we love like Jesus. Friends, let me tell you the truth. Hate is an emotion. You are in control of your emotions. Some of you are very big emotioned people, and that's fine. So am I. We can be in control of our emotions. They do not control us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, hate can no longer remain in you. You have the strength to remove it. But you have to do the work. You have to speak to your hate and you have to tell it to go. You have to tell it it cannot remain. It cannot have a hold. It cannot have a place in your life. It may not dictate your path. It cannot dictate your future. It cannot separate you from the body of Christ any longer. It cannot remain. You cannot hate someone you love. It's a contradiction. And we are people who will no longer contradict ourselves. Our words and our actions have to align. We need to believe in Jesus and love like Jesus because we want to follow his commands. We want to live out that same example that he lived for us. We have to stop walking around in darkness and allowing it to hold us in a place where we are simply surviving. We are no longer thriving. We have to look for the good in others. We have to stand with them and support them. We have to celebrate them. We have to truly love one another. Otherwise, when we don't, our life is just one giant contradiction. Walk in freedom today. No more contradictions, pure and simple. Let us be a people who live out this old, beautiful command that has been renewed into something profound. Let us believe in Jesus and love people like Jesus. Only then can we truly be one body, one unified, mature body of Christ, making a difference in the world, being transformed and renewed and thriving. I want to see you thrive. 
So collectively, let's believe in Jesus and love like Jesus. Let's pray.